As we turn our attention to 2 Peter chapter 2 now, you started on 2 Peter yesterday, so now we're in 2 Peter chapter 2 again. Remember, Peter writes a little differently than Paul because Peter is focused on the, the Jewish believers, what we would call a, a completed Jew or a messianic Jew. It's interesting, I had some friends from Israel send me a text message this week. Messiah is coming soon. There is a cry. Jesus, come quickly. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, I better be quiet on that or my heart's going to get all caught up in that this morning. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Uh, Peter starts here with some difficult stuff. He said, but false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, I want you to notice false teacher, the source of false teachers. The source of false teachers is the people. You know, we always think that false teachers come from the leaderships. False teachers come from the people, not the leaders. You know, it, it's so easy today to, to walk around and say, oh, false prophets are always coming from, from leaders. But I want you to notice, these false prophets arose among the people. So the source of false prophets is among the people. Ah, somebody wanting to be a teacher who doesn't want to be trained, who doesn't want to learn, who doesn't want to be de to developed. They just, they're self-called, self-appointed. Okay, these are the self-called Self-anointed, <laughs> my, my ink keeps going away again this morning. Sorry, these are the self-called, the self-anointed, and the self-appointed. But they all come from among the people, not from among the leaders. He said, this is there will be false teachers among you, again. The false teachers are among the people who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now notice, false teachers work in secret. Long before you ever see a false teacher beginning to be corrected or disciplined, you will see them working in secret. They'll be moving through the connect groups. They'll be moving among the congregation. And what they bring in is destructive heresies. These are things that destroy. These are false truths that destroy families and destroy people's spiritual lives. Even denying the master who bought them. We were bought by the blood of Jesus. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. All right. So please understand this is their future. But you can say that the future is going to be a close future bringing upon themselves swift destruction. One of the things you see with these false teachers that arise up from among the congregation, they don't last long. These are, are one-hit wonders. These are flashes in pans. These are shooting comets. Um, you, you, whatever colloquialism you want to use for them. These are not long-term destructive situations. These are short-term situations. But notice... Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Here is their fruit. Here is the fruit of these false teachers. 
They follow their sensuality. Forgive me, they appeal to sensual desires. Okay, you, you, you see these false teachers, and you're going to find there's always something sensual about them. Now, sometimes we call that today cool. Now, with all the cool preachers that are falling around the world right now, I saw an article in one of the leadership magazines. It's time for pastors to quit being cool and start being pastors. And I thought, yeah, it's the sensuality that people follow. Sometimes you call it the it factor, but basically there's a, a sensual appeal. You know, I remember watching a Christian comedy thing uh, that one of the young people or somebody gave me, and it was about, you know, people shopping for churches. And there was these young ladies that were saying, oh, I want to go to this church. The pastor is so sexy. Like, you know what? That's, that's just a little disgusting. All right. Okay. Follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. People will speak against Christianity. Okay, so many will follow, but the truth of the gospel is going to be blasphemed. God's word will be talked bad about because of what these people do. In their greed, they exploit you with false words. Wow. So these people are after money. Okay, so they're after their goal. Their goal is money for themselves. They're not, ah, the pin. The money is not for building God's house. The money is not for uh, evangelism. The money is for themselves. These people, they, they live like, ah. And brothers and sisters, every pastor has to be able to raise money. And the problem is some church members go out and they say, well, you know, the pastor's exploiting us with their greed. You know, look around at COP and see where the money goes. It's gone into buildings and land. When Sister Bev and I became your pastors 40 years ago, there were no assets. We didn't even own the building that we were using. But now look at COP. Look at the billions of pesos that it is worth. Look at the buildings that we have built for the future generations. Now, Sister Bev and I have been blessed, but that's been because of some property sales that my family loaned me money to get started with. But God's been good to us, and God will be good to all of our pastors. But there's no greed among us. We're not raising money for ourselves. In their greed, they exploit you with false words. This is why designated funds are so important. This is why names on offering envelopes are so important, so that there's accountability for the funds. Okay. There's lots of things in here. In their greed, they exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter says, you know, you just wonder when, you wonder when, when is this going to happen? Because you see what they're doing. Peter said, listen, their, their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains and gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. All right, so... Not all of the demons are free, okay? Not all demons are free. Some of the more powerful demons have already been cast into hell. Some of the more powerful demons are kept in chains and gloomy darkness to be held for judgment. 
If God did not spare the ancient world, but, preserve, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the ungodly, and if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of what happens to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Wow. And notice, Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For that righteous, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now, here's one of the question marks in my Bible. Why stay? He stayed because of his wife. His wife wanted that life. His wife wanted to live there. His wife did not want to live on the mountain like she had lived earlier with, with Abraham. His wife wanted this beautiful city life. So he, he lived among this horrible sin of sexual immorality, of things he saw and things he heard. He heard the words every day, and it tormented his righteous soul. Now, please, all of you straight up, why torment yourself? Leave. Just leave the place. You know, I have... Before I was a pastor, there are jobs that I left because I did not want to be around the sin that was taking place. You know, there was one job I had, and it was a really nice job, and it paid well, and it was a very nice environment, except that the people who worked there, man, it was one sex joke after another sex joke, and it was one, you know, discussion of their sexual immorality after another, and it was just constant, just talking, talking, just... And it's not like you could tune it out because it was a close environment. So I, I got rid of that job, but I took another job working with a bunch of guys. And it was a very, it was a very high paying job, but it was a dangerous job. I worked um, kind of disposing of hazardous materials. And I did that during a, a Christmas break one year. And, and these guys were all poor guys. Most of them had never even graduated from school, but they had a respect for things. And when they found out that I was a what they called a baby preacher, because <laughs> I was still in Bible school, they called me the baby preacher. These guys were so respectful. And when a guy started to say a bad word, uh -uh, don't say that, there's a pastor here. They, they respected my heart. And I, I, I will always have incredible respect for those men. Incredible respect for those men. Because they realize I'm a young baby preacher and I'm trying to live for God, but I'm a normal guy like everybody else. And to hear those kind of things would torment my righteous soul. Now, sometimes you just have to choose your environment, brothers and sisters. I'm going too long on this, but, you know, sometimes, like Lot, don't hang around. Leave. And remember, when it all got destroyed, Lot lost everything. He lost everything. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. <laughs> God knows how. I like that. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Now, now this is something you're going to have to understand. Punishment already is occurring. You, you just have to understand that. Punishment is already occurring. They are, the unrighteous are already being punished in this life. They are already under punishment especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. 
So here are the rebels. Rebels who indulge in the lust of defiling passions, sexual sins, and people who are rebellious, okay? They are especially being held, <laughs> okay? Bold and willful, here's their characteristics. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. They're bold and they're willful, okay? They're very strong-willed. These are very confident, aggressive people. And you'll notice that, um, please forgive me, but people who are indulging in sexual sins and people who are rebellious are bold and willful. I mean, these people are full of self-confidence and they're very aggressive. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught, destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Now, there's a lot in that. But I want you to notice that these people, these people who indulge in defiling passions, these people who are rebellious, this is their character trait, okay? They're bold and willful. This is their character. This is the source. They are creatures, whoops. They are creatures of instinct. You know, there are people that are led by the Spirit. And then there are people that just have these incredible instincts. Now, let me give you an illustration. I call these people predators. And some of these predators operate among churches. But I remember I, I picked up that this guy was what I would call a sexual predator, preying on young girls. And he, he never went after the successful girls. He always went after what I would call, you know, the, the, for lack of a better term, the girls with low self-esteem. And I watched him walk into a room one time. And I watched him just stand back as he began to mingle. But his eyes were moving and he was watching. He was evaluating people. And he, before long, he zeroed in on a young lady that I knew who had very low self-esteem, very insecure. And the next thing you know, he's talking to her and he's got her eating out of his hand almost. And I went, that's how these guys work. They're creatures of instinct. These people have natural human instincts. And, and before you think that's strange, now you got to know, remember, I'm a dog person, okay? That, that's me. I'm a dog person. Have you ever noticed the dogs almost instinctively know whether people like dogs or don't like dogs. Have you ever noticed that? Every house I go into, dogs love me. And you can't say, well, you smell like dogs, Pastor. Well, not now because the dogs are with Shasha and EJ and, and Sister Bev and I have a dog-free house. So we have to go over and visit once in a while. We have to go visit our grandchildren once in a while. All right? We have to go visit our puppies. But I don't smell like dogs, but dogs still come up to me. Dogs have an instinct. There are instincts that every animal has. And believe it or not, there are instincts that human beings have. 
Okay, the instinct of a baby to suck. That's an instinct. That's a genetic inbred instinct. Now, don't take this too far and stretch a truth like a rubber band tells us an untruth. But one of the things that you'll notice about people who involve in sexual immorality and who despise authority is that they have incredible instincts of reading people. That's why they're so successful in their rebellion. That's why they're so successful in their sexual conquests. That's why they're so bold and willful. They're aggressive. They've got these great instincts. So, so learn to understand these people. And, you know, the best way I know to handle these people is to just stay away. Find good friends in Jesus' name. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. And Sister Bev's got a couple of more days with us with Ezekiel. If you want more happy, then your heart will hold. If you want to stand taller in the truth we're told, take whatever you have and give it away.
Hello there, welcome back to Ezekiel, that drama, drama prophet that we have come to enjoy so much as he has led us through so many glorious chapters and visions of the Lord our God. Well, today it is our privilege to read chapter 43 and 44 of Ezekiel. Over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, we transitioned in the book of Ezekiel. Now from chapter 40 through 48, the last nine chapters then of the book of Ezekiel, we are talking about this new temple. And as we transition to talk about this new temple, we have to realize it is a new temple. We're not talking about Solomon's temple here. We're not talking about the temple that was there in Jesus' day. We're certainly not talking about any temple that is in existence today. So it's very important as we read these chapters about this temple that we remember how we interpret scripture. And that is literally, we're not looking at scripture as though it's some kind of an allegory or some kind of uh, story from, from which we can learn a moral lesson. We are looking at historical and grammatical facts, yes, and we are going to interpret scripture literally. So if it says there's going to be a temple and these are the dimensions and it's going to be like this, and then we have to look at all the facts of the temple and interpret it this way. If we don't interpret scripture that way, we get off into guessing games where anybody could be right. Well, this is what it means to me. Remember, there is only one correct interpretation of scripture. And then we can take that interpretation and we can apply it to our own lives in very personal and particular ways. So we could spend actually hours talking about the various views of this last nine chapters of when this is going to be. But literally, we are going to walk through these chapters, taking it as it is, face value, just literally from a messianic viewpoint, seeing how God will deal with and bless Israel and through them, the whole earth. And so we understand that this is a millennial temple that is being talked about. So for the literal 1,000-year rule of Christ on this earth. There will be people on this earth during that time. And we are talking about a literal Israel. And I, I need you to realize that, that the church is grafted in, but the church did not take the place of Israel. God has a people of Israel, a, a literal physical people of Israel. They are his people. And Jerusalem, that's his city. And it's all very much laid out, cut and dry, as they say. The Bible is not a mythical book or not a, a storybook. It is a book of truth, and we are to live it. So we have a personal responsibility to know the Lord and to know the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah, and to live for him in right living and right choices every day. So we have to remember these things as we deal with prophetic books or prophetic parts of the Bible. We're not talking about anybody can interpret it any way they want. We're talking about literal facts 
that will happen in this case. So chapter 43 is going to be something about the glory of God, which is beautiful. And we started talking about that earlier in the book of Ezekiel. And we want to say that if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you should study the book of Ezekiel first. The book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, some of these prophetic books will really help you to understand John's revelation of Jesus Christ that he saw many, many years later. So chapter 43, starting there. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east, eastern gate. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. There you go. There's a revelation type phrase right there. The sound of many waters. It's noisy in heaven when the Lord has all these loud voices and the sound of thunder and the sound of many waters. Yeah, it's going to be a gloriously, beautifully noisy place in heaven. So the sound of his coming, the glory of God, was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. The earth itself, so as the glory of God was passing through the eastern gate, coming back, and will come to this new temple. As the glory of God passes over the earth, the earth itself is radiant. Now, we have talked about this in a little bit, a little somewhat before, because we have talked about the patience of God. As the glory of God lifted up, from where it was above the ark between the cherubim and the glory of God lifted up and started to move over the courtyard and the whole courtyard was radiant, brilliant, and then moved to the threshold, the doorway, as though God was saying, um, I can't live here. I can't stay. There's so much sin. I cannot stay with these abominations. There's blood being shed in my house. There's prostitution. There is every kind of idolatry, offering babies and, and um, as sacrifices to these demon gods, these, these uh, idols. All kinds of horrible abominations happening. God can't dwell there with all of that in all of his glory. And so he started patiently moving away. And as though he wanted to say, is anybody noticing? Hello, I'm moving. <laughs> Did anybody happen to notice that the threshold was brilliantly radiant? <laughs> no, nobody noticed. Okay, I'll, I'll keep moving. And eventually, sadly, the glory of God left the temple and went out through the east, through the eastern gate. And now... The glory of God in this latter time is coming back through the very gate that it left. And when it passes over the earth, the earth itself is radiant with his glory. And I don't know if you remember that I said to you, what are we humans made of? We humans, Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. We're made from earth. We are earthen vessels. 
vessels of clay, as the New Testament says. All right. When the Lord dwells in us, what do we look like to God? What do we look like on the inside? We look radiant, radiantly beautiful. And some of you who feel really bad about yourself and you feel like, but I've sinned, I've done this, I've done that. If you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have asked him to forgive your sin and to come into your life. You are nothing but radiantly beautiful to the Lord. Amen. When he sees you, wow, that's my beautiful child right there. All right, the earth shone with his glory. Eh, we finished two verses. We better move on. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when I came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the Chibar Canal, and I fell on my face. There's the response to seeing the glory of God. I fell on my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Full cycle. The glory of the Lord patiently left, and now the glory of the Lord back in through the east into the temple of God. Well, you know that the glory of God filled the tabernacle when it was dedicated, the temple of Solomon when it was dedicated. In the New Testament, the New Testament temple of God, us, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, that fire fell upon each one of them, again, signifying God's acceptance of the temple. And so the glory of God has come back and now filled this millennial temple signifying God's acceptance of the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings nor by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorposts with only a wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst." forever. There is a holiness about God. There's a holiness about the house of God that we must always take to heart. Verse 10, and as for you, son of man, describe to the house of Israel, the temple. So describe all this glory. Descri describe all this beauty. Describe this beautiful temple that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and shall measure the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, so if they're repentant, if they see the glory of God, the beauty of God, and they want that, if they are repentant, if they're ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits and its entrances, that is, its whole design, and make known to them as well its statutes, and its whole design and all its laws, 
and write it down in their sight so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. You know, there is that holiness to the house of God. There's this way that we should be looking at the house of God, even now, that it is elevated in our sight. It is most holy. It is to be treated with reverence. We are to have zeal for the house of God, to keep it clean, to keep it sanctified, not to let evil things come into the house of God. Amen? And now it begins to describe, just as as God told Ezekiel, okay, describe for the people. Now it begins to describe the various parts of this new temple, starting with the altar. And we have to realize that in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to Christ's sacrifice. In the New Testament, the period we're living in right now, we're living in the time of Christ's sacrifice, the Lamb of God slain for us. In the millennium, they are looking back at Christ's sacrifice by, again, making sacrifices on these altars. And, you know, if you think, hmm, sacrificing, well, think of the aroma that comes up to God of the sacrifice. Do you like a good barbecue? (laughs) I think everybody loves the smell of a good barbecue. That's what it's going to smell like, like a great barbecue. Like, And then these, of course, there's certain portions that are set aside for the priests to eat. So looking forward to Christ's sacrifice, living in the time of Christ's sacrifice, looking back to the sacrifice. And then, you know, forever in heaven, we will be singing about the blood of the Lamb. We will be worshiping him for the blood of the Lamb. So as we read about these sacrifices, there's no conflict here. It's just looking back and realizing, yeah, there are people who live in in the millennial time, in that thousand-year reign. They need to be reminded of what Jesus, the Lamb of God, has done for us. These are the measurements of the altar by cubits, the cubit being a cubit and a hand, hand breadth. Its base shall be one cubit high and one cubit broad, with a rim of one span around its edge, and this shall be the height of the altar. From the base on the ground to the lower edge, two cubits with a breadth of one cubit, and from the smaller ledge to the larger ledge, four cubits and a breadth of one cubit. And the altar hearth, four cubits, and from the altar hearth projecting upward, four horns. The altar hearth shall be square, twelve cubits long by twelve broad. The ledge also shall be square, 14 cubits long by 14 broad, with a rim around it and a cubit, half a cubit broad, with its base one cubit all around. The steps of the altar shall face east. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the ordinances for the altar. On the day when it is erected for offering burnt offerings upon it and for throwing blood against it, You shall give to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, who draw near to minister to me, declares the Lord, a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and you shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar and on the four corners of the ledge and upon the rim all around. Thus you shall purify the altar and make atonement for it. 
you shall also take of the bull of the sin offering, and it shall be burned in the appointed place belonging to the temple outside the sacred area. And on the second day you shall offer a male goat without blemish for a sin offering, and the altar shall be purified as it was purified with the bull. When you have finished purifying it, you shall offer a bull from the herd without blemish and a ram for the flock without blemish. You shall present them before the Lord and the priest shall sprinkle salt on them. Salt covenant from ancient times until millennial times. Salt covenant shall sprinkle salt on them and offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. For seven days you shall provide daily a male goat for a sin offering, also a bull from the herd and a ram from the flock without blemish shall be provided. A week-long celebration or a dedication for this new altar, not to replace the sacrifice of the Lamb of God in the New Testament, but to remind or to look back during this 1,000-year reign on earth, because there will be people on this earth that need to be reminded. Seven days shall they make atonement for the altar and cleanse it and so consecrate it. And when they have completed these days, then from the eighth day onward, the priest shall offer on the altar your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, declares the Lord. Chapter 44. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall remain shut. It shall not be opened and no one shall enter it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore, it shall remain shut. Only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. So this is David or David's dynasty. Only the prince. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out by the same way. Then he brought me by way to the north gate to the front of the temple, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and I fell on my face. So, you know, it was really also ancient traditions that if a king will enter through a certain doorway, no one else was allowed to enter through that doorway because the king was the king, and no one else is supposed to have the same privileges as the king or the same. It's like... In God's case, it sanctifies it. It makes it holy. But in the king's case, you know, there are all these rules throughout the centuries of history that if a king was sitting, you should be sitting too because your head should not be elevated above the head of the king. And if you happen to be tall and the king happened to be short, you were kind of (laughs) in trouble. (laughs) You have to always walk around. Like, you can't have your head higher than the king. Yeah, if the king walks on a certain red carpet, you're not allowed to step on that red carpet. Oh, I learned that the hard way one time. This was years and years ago, probably decades ago. And I was at the Manila Hotel for some reason, for some event. And Queen Sophia was there. And they had this red carpet all laid out. I didn't know who she was. And I was at one end of that huge lobby and she was at the other end of the huge lobby and she was about to walk on that red carpet, but she would not walk on it. (laughs) She would not even step on it because I was standing on it on the other end. We're just talking with some people that we were with and talk. And finally, somebody told me, Sister Bev, move off the red carpet. So I moved off to the side and I was standing there. 
And then she stood on the red carpet and she walked by it as she walked by. She looked imperiously at me. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be on her red carpet. Well, this is just a way that kings have been treated. And this is definitely the way that the Lord God would be treated, that he is holy. And when he went through that particular gate, no one else is supposed to use it except him um, because he is holy. And whatever, wherever he is and whatever he touches becomes holy unto him. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, mark well, see with your eyes, and hear with your ears all that I shall tell you concerning all the statutes of the temple of the Lord and all its laws. And mark well the entrance to the temple and all of its all of the exits from the sanctuary. And say to the rebellious house, Wow, Israel really had that reputation, huh? That was really their nickname with God, the rebellious house. To the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, enough of all your abominations in admitting foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh to be in my sanctuary, profaning my temple. When you offer to me my food, the fat of the blood, you have broken my covenant in addition to all your abominations, and you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep my charge for you in my sanctuary. Thus says the Lord God. No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, of all the foreigners who are among the people of Israel shall enter my sanctuary. But the Levites, who went far from me, going astray from me after their idols when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. They shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gate of the temple and ministering in the temple. They shall slaughter the burnt offerings and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before the people to minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore, I have sworn concerning them, declares the Lord God, they shall bear their punishment. They shall not come near to me to serve me as priest, nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they shall bear their punish, their shame and the abominations that they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple, to do all of its service and all that is to be done for it. There is such a thing. There's such a principle in the Bible as restoration of relationship and certain usefulness, but never the same position. It sounds very much like the prodigal son, doesn't it? Restoration of relationship. But never again would he get again that money that he had already wasted. Never again would he, no, the rest of his life, he was going to work for his brother. So there is such a thing as restoration of relationship and even restoration of usefulness. But the consequence of what has been done, never regaining exactly the same position. There is certain thing, there are certain things for which that is true in scripture. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. When they enter the gates of the inner court, they shall wear linen garments. They shall have nothing of wool on them. While they minister at the gates of the inner court and within, they shall have linen turbans on their head and linen undergarments around their waists. They shall not bind themselves with anything that causes sweat. 
And when they go out into the outer courts to the people, they shall put off the garments in which they have been ministering and lay them in the holy chambers. And they shall put on other garments, lest they transmit holiness to the people with their garments. Once something is consecrated to the Lord, it is consecrated to the Lord. And there is this thing, if it has been touched by God, God's holy presence, it becomes holy to the Lord as well. They shall not shave their heads or let their locks grow long. They shall surely trim the hair of their heads. No priest shall drink wine when he enters the inner court. They shall not marry a widow or a divorced woman, but only virgins of the offspring of the house of Israel, or a widow who is the widow of a priest. They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. We have seen that before, haven't we? That people didn't observe or people didn't acknowledge or didn't recognize the difference between what is holy and what is common. And maybe that is one really big takeaway that we're getting from the book of Ezekiel, that God is holy. There is such a thing as holy and there is such a thing as common. And show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. In a dispute, they shall act as judges, and they shall judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my appointed feasts, and they shall keep my Sabbaths holy. They shall not defile themselves by going near a dead person. However, for father or mother, for son or daughter, for brother or unmarried sister, they may defile themselves. After he has become clean, they shall count seven days for him. And on the day that he goes into the holy place, into the inner court to minister in the holy place, he shall offer his sin offering, declares the Lord. This shall be their inheritance. I am their inheritance. And you shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. Sounds very much like the Levitical priests in the Old Testament system, doesn't it? That God is their inheritance and their possession. And I love those, I love those um, turnarounds in the Hebrew. And I love those turnarounds in the Bible that we are God's inheritance and he is ours. Amen. And that we are God's possession, his treasured possession, and he is ours. They shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, and every devoted thing in Israel shall be theirs. And the first of all the first fruits of all kinds, and every offering from all kinds, from all your offerings, shall belong to the priests. You shall also give to the priest the first of your dough, that a blessing may rest on your house. So there's a principle that will be in the millennial times. You're going to bring to God and offer God's not going to eat the dough. God's not going to eat these sacrifices, but the priests would. And the result, a blessing will rest on your house. The priest shall not eat of anything, whether bird or beast that has died of itself or is torn by wild animals. Interesting, interesting, right? This dramatic, vision-filled, prophetic book of Ezekiel. Well, that is our Ezekiel reading for today, and that is our daily devotions for today. We hope to see you again tonight for our COP online evening service at 7 p.m. in this same place. God bless you.